So, this is what you want me to tell them? The people, your people who have lived in dark exile all these many years with their, their backs up against some Babylonian wall. It was one thing when you had me tell the king that a, a virgin would give birth. Go back to sleep, my dear. I'm talking to God. Is he listening? Uh, what do you mean, is he listening? Are you listening to him? You see what I mean, Lord? Even my own wife questions me. Now, you are God Almighty. You do what you want to do. But you want me to tell the people that Messiah is going to be just uh, some plain fellow like one of us? That he's going to suffer? He's going to die? Why not Moses to lead us out of exile? Or, uh, or King David, the mighty warrior, not some tiny li little... Uh, where is the oil for the lamp? It's where it always is. Uh, ah! This is what I'm talking about, Lord. We are a people in darkness, stumbling around, stubbing our toe on the sin of the world. Uh, we need... A mighty rescuer. Uh, we need, uh, we need a savior, not some tiny little. Ah. Such a tiny flame. And the whole room is filled with light. I am a man of unclean lips. Forgive me, Lord. I will tell them what you have shown me, even if I don't understand it. I will trust you, good Lord, in your own good time to, to bring us uh, Emmanuel to bring us light and hope. Yeah. Light and hope. I'm coming back to bed. Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> we come to the first Sunday of Advent, and so we have our Advent candles here. And Advent is a Latin word, well, in the Latin, it means to come. And it's basically a, a countdown, like you do when you're waiting for something. It's the idea of waiting and anticipating something that's coming. 
uh, something we don't do well these days, right? We don't like to wait. We like to, we like to have things right now. If I have to wait, you know, I, I remember it used to take an hour to have a baked potato. Now I put it in the microwave and I complain that it's going to take five minutes to get that potato out of there. But that's what Advent is all about. And this month, as we light these various candles, it will remind us of what it is we are waiting for, and that is Jesus Christ. This is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the Sunday, it's the day of hope the day of waiting and preparation. And so we've lit this candle, and it reminds us that for hundreds, yea, even thousands of years, the, prophesied, the, the prophecy of the coming Messiah was made to God's people. In fact, the very first prophecy was right after Adam and Eve sinned, right there in the Garden of Eden. And there was the first prophecy that Jesus Christ would one day and pay the price, come and pay the price for our sins. And so we will go through this, these candles over this next month. Next week we'll, have, we'll be with Mary and Joseph's candle. The week after that it'll be the shepherd's candle. The week after that the angel's candle. All up until Christmas Eve where we light the Christ candle. And then from the Christ candle we light all of our candles as a reminder to us that we are called to go to our worlds, to be the light in our worlds, to let our lights shine so that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's, our, that's what we anticipate. That's what we're looking forward to this coming month of Advent. Today, we talk about the waiting and the preparation and the looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. You know, when I was a truck driver, I had tools that I needed in order to accomplish my job. My tool was, of course, a truck. But then to keep the truck going, I literally had to have tools. I didn't, didn't have enough money to, to have mechanics do everything, so I learned how to work on the darn thing. Well, what are the tools of the prophets who we remember today? The tools of the prophets are words. I know people would say, words? Really? That, that, that's a tool? Words don't seem all that important. There's that old line, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. <laughs> anybody that's had unkind words said to you, I have yet to have anybody ever say those words were much better than somebody just slapping me across the face. If I could have taken a slap across the face rather than the words that were said to me, which still stick with me to this day. <laughs> so words are powerful. Words have meaning. Words have power. We, we, we know those phrases, the pen is mightier than the sword. The tongue, G James says, the tongue is a fire. Words and names and titles, they are powerful things. We sang just a few minutes ago, worthy is your name, O Jesus. Names are powerful. And of course, how does God communicate with us? Through his word, which contains words. Just an example of how powerful words can be. In China, there was a, an organization, uh, there was a, a coffee house that got sued because of the name they chose for their coffee house. Here's the name, Shingbake. Shingbake can be translated loosely as Shing, star, Bake, bucks. <laughs> and guess who sued them? There you go, Starbucks. Now, I think they knew, they, they tried to pretend they didn't know what they were doing, but when you see their logo, go ahead and put that up, Danny. There you go. 
kind of gives you the sense they knew exactly what they were doing. I read of a mom who one time, you know, she was uh, with child, about ready to have a child, and they're trying to think of a, of, a, of a clever name for their child. And she happened to go into a building, and she saw on the door what she thought would be a good name, Nosmo. I don't think it's a good name, but she did, Nosmo. Okay, I think that, that's, that's a good name. Later on, as she was going past, she saw on another door the, the name King. And she thought, that's a great name, Nosmo King Smith. Later, the doors were closed, and of course, what did she read then? No smoking. <laughs> words, <laughs> words have power. Even Jackie and I, when we were there in the hospital after having uh, delivered our first child, Jamie, and we wanted to name her... Jamie Lynn, and that's how we wanted to spell it. And a friend came in, she looks at that, and she says, oh, that's an interesting name, Jamie Lynn. And so Jamie Lynn became Jamie Lynn. <laughs> Names have power. But of course, the most powerful name of all is the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name, as we have sung this morning, that is worthy. And there are, there are many different names for Jesus. The names of Jesus serve as a description of who he is and how he lives and how he works and how he desires to live and desires to work in our lives. Some scholars have counted up over 700 titles and names for Jesus in the Bible. Let me give you just a smattering here. God, the Lord, the Word, Messiah, Alpha and Omega, the Savior, Redeemer, the Light of the World, the Lamb of God, the Ruler of Creation, our mediator, the bread of life, of course, the way, the truth, and the life. And in our passage this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in verse 2. And in this passage this morning, we are going to see, in fact, we've already sung about half of them, uh, we're going to see four names of the coming Messiah that are all fulfilled in Jesus. I encourage you to take notes this morning. There's notes uh, cards available at the door. If you didn't get one, put your hand up. We'll make sure and get one to you. If you're joining with us online today, or for those of you who are, if I'm talking to you, you're joining with us online, and we have those notes available to you on our church app, so make sure you download the church app, and you'll get all the material that everybody else has. First, let's get some context. We're looking at the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote about 700 years before Christ. He is the very picture of this first candle that we are lighting today. And I wonder this morning if, if you need any more proof that God's word is what it says it is. In the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we have over 300 references to the coming Messiah, and every one of those 300 references are fulfilled in one person. Guess who? Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Now, what are the odds of that? I mean, if we were to take just 60 of the major prophecies, prophecies, you know, people will argue and they'll say, well, uh, the disciples looked at those prophecies and they organized it so Jesus would fulfill them. I got to wonder, how are you going to organize where you are going to be born in Bethlehem? How are you going to organize what family line you come from, the line of David? How are you going to organize his ministry of miracles, his teaching by parables, his obvious his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. How are you going to organize and make all of that happen? Somebody figured out one time the odds of just eight of the, prop of the 300 prophecies in the Old Testament coming true in one person would be 
a number that is known as 1 to the 10 to the 17th power. That, that number has a name. It is 10 quadrillions. And it is equal to the amount of silver dollars covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's how big that number is. That's the odds of just eight of the 300 prophecies coming true in one person. I don't know about you, but for me, as a young unbeliever, that was convincing evidence for me. I don't see how they could have orchestrated that, how they could have made that happen. Now, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy that we're looking at this morning, as we saw in the video, it was, as he said, a time of great darkness for his people, kind of like today, kind of like through most of history for the Jews. They were surrounded by hostile nations, they were, and these nations were anxious to conquer their land and exterminate the Jews. We pick up in verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And as we saw, things are dark in Israel. Things are not going well. And yet, Isaiah tells them that hope is coming. That's what this light is, is reminding us. Hope, light is coming. They can look forward to it getting better. Verse 3 says, there will be great rejoicing at the coming of that light. Verse 3 says, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Then next, the next three verses gives us the reasons for their joy. Verse 4 says that the burden of their darkness would be lifted. In other words, the burden of their sin would be broken. Verse 4, for the yoke of, the, of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the, his oppressor, you have broken them as on the day of Midian. Verse 5 then says to us, the very clothes, or to them, I should say, says to them that the very clothes of war, the armaments, the uniforms, those would become fuel for the fire. Since there would be no more strife, no more chaos, no more war, there was no more need for these things. There would now be peace. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And finally we come to verse 6. And it says here, Isaiah says to them from God, that a child is going to be born and that this child would carry the government on his shoulders. In other words, he, he will govern the people righteously and with uh, righteousness. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And did you notice, just as an aside, what he says here? He says that this child is born, that this son is given. Not that this child will be born or that this child has been born. He is born. And that's a, a figure of speech that is very popular with prophets, particularly when you're talking about a prophecy that God has given to them because when God says something is going to happen, even if it's in the future, it's as good as done. Of course, God himself lives in the eternal now. And so he uses the correct tense when talking about a prophecy of God. You can take it to the bank. You can count on this. 
But in the balance of this morning, I want to focus on these four names given to the child. Now, I know some of you say, well, I see eight names here. It's actually four sets of two names, which together describe for us the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In each pair, you have one term that would be considered metaphysical, meaning that it's it's a, it's a term that is divine or beyond ordinary or, or maybe kind of outward. It's a, it's a term that describes the character of the one being described. The other term is very physical. It's more functional, what this child would do, what his, what his role will be. So what child is coming? Wonderful, that's metaphysical. Counselor, that's physical. Mighty, that's physical. God, couldn't get more metaphysical than that. Everlasting. Metaphysical. Father, physical. We understand that one. Prince, physical. And peace, a metaphysical concept. Let's look at each one of these terms. And in doing so this morning, let's get a more complete picture of this Jesus who we are anticipating, who we are looking forward to this time of year. The number one is wonderful counselor. Scriptures relate this idea of wonderful. This, this is related, of course, to God. God did wonders for Israel in Egypt. It's a word that means incomprehensible or, or beyond our understanding. Isaiah is saying here that this child that is coming is going to be a divine child. His, his very coming would be the greatest wonder of all. It would be an act of God's great salvation coming to them. As a baby in a manger, he would become the answer to all of our problems. Matthew 1 uh, tells us this. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. We're going to focus on that particularly next week. As we come to Mary and Joseph's candles. But look what the angel says now. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. This was earlier in Isaiah. Behold the virgins shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew defines it for us, which means God with us. Just look at how wonderful Jesus is. No sin was too great. No, no, no wrong is too ugly to be forgiven by him. Christ's very name, his very nature, his ministry, if you will, was full of wonder. Think about it. How could a, a virgin conceive and bear a child? How, how could he then perform miracles? How could he heal the sick and raise the dead and walk on water? What a wonderful individual. And the answer is obvious. He's wonderful. He's beyond understanding. His birth was wonderful. His life was wonderful. His teaching was wonderful. His miracles, his transfiguration, his death, and of course, his resurrection were all wonderful but not just wonderful. We read he is the wonderful counselor. Now, leaders tend to have a lot of counselors around them, and that's a good thing. The president has his cabinet. Kings in these days would have their counselors. There is wisdom uh, with many counselors. And yet this wonderful counselor is one who can solve problems, and he does it all by himself. That is wonderful. He's got the right answer every time. We, we saw, if you read about the life of Jesus, one of the early accounts, in fact, one of the only early accounts of Jesus is when he is a boy in the temple. 
And his parents find him there teaching the teachers of Israel. And they are amazed at this child. That's Luke 2.47. And Jesus is counseling them. He is the one who doesn't need any other counselors. And that shows that he is God. He is omniscient. That's the theological word. It means all-knowing. He was a counselor, guys, in the things that he did. Jesus would, would pick up a seed, and that seed became a sermon on the word of God. He, he, would, he would point to a sheep, and that became a sermon on a lost soul. An ordinary fishing trip would change drastically when Jesus got into the boat. A wedding was just a wedding until they asked Jesus to help out. And of course, you want to invite Jesus to a funeral, uh, you may not have, have to finish the funeral if Jesus is there. Guys, there is no greater counselor than Jesus Christ. And as your counselor, trust me, guys, he is always available. He will give you his undivided attention. As your counselor, he will comfort you. He will guide you in the right way. It is always the right way, 100% of the time. As your counselor, then he even goes beyond that and actually enables you and empowers you to carry out his counsel. He's a wonderful counselor. Let's look at the next couplet. He is a mighty God. Now, Isaiah is telling us, remember, he's talking about this child is going to be born. This son is going to be given. So this son, this child is going to be mighty. That literally, that word there literally means he's going to be a hero. He's going to be a doer of great deeds. Really, a, a child. Mighty acts will be done by this one. And, and the acts will be done for people who can't do those acts for themselves. We see a lot of biblical examples of mighty men. Moses led the people of out, of, out of Egypt. Uh, Joshua led the Israelites in conquering uh, the promised land. David, when he took on the giant Goliath. All of these are heroic acts done for others. That's what a mighty man is. But Jesus is not just a mighty man. This child, this son is going to be mighty God, the one true God, the creator, the supreme being. And as mighty God, this child is more than just a hero. He is a divine hero. He is the God that does heroic acts. He is the God of salvation. And let's be honest, guys. Talk is cheap, right? Anybody can say that they are God. A lot of people have. Uh, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Charles Manson. I'm sure there's a dozen or more people right now that would tell you they're God. But only Jesus proved who he was. Only he was the fulfillment of prophecy to the 10 quadrillionth, okay? He was the one who rose from the dead in proof of all of his words, just like he said he would. And then, of course, there are even those times when he didn't say who he was. John 10, we read this. The Jews gathered around Jesus and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The words that I, that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. <laughs> Earlier in Isaiah, we see this prophecy. Uh, Matthew quoted it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll still call his name Emmanuel, 
And as Matthew told us, that means God with us. He is with us in the difficult times. He is with us when we are tempted to do something that we shouldn't do. He is with us through whatever life throws at us. Why? Because he is a mighty God, this child, this son. The next pair of words is everlasting father. The word everlasting, of course, means forever. It, it, it never ends. But it also means there is no beginning. <laughs> it, essentially, you could say this child is living in the forever. He would inhabit eternity. Honestly, we are, our, our finite minds really can't conceive of eternity. We are so locked into a time framework, and yet that's where he is. Jesus is not restricted by time, and time doesn't change him. He doesn't get older. He doesn't get slower. He doesn't get frail. He is the way he is forever. He didn't come into existence when he was born because he is everlasting. He is, as it says, God with us, God who became a child. Not only everlasting, he is the everlasting father. This is one of the great pictures, by the way, in the Bible that we see describing God. One of the best things, some of the best things about a good father, and sadly I have to say it that way, a good father, is that it includes a good father will have compassion and love and care and protection and guidance and support and encouragement. Psalm 103 tells us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Isaiah 63, he says it this way, You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old is your name. And yet it can be tough today because, let's be honest, sometimes fathers aren't the best examples to their children. I read about a prison that had a, a program where they made it possible for the prisoners to get Mother's Day cards. And they, they provided them with cards and allowed them to, to sign these cards for their mothers, and then they would take care of mailing them out. So mom got the card. And they said it was a roaring success. Hundreds, even maybe thousands of these cards were used up in this prison. And it went so well that they thought, let's do the same thing for Father's Day. And for Father's Day, nobody came. <laughs> they had all the cards ready, but nobody wanted them. It says something about fathers and troubled children. Guys, we need to be the fathers that God has called us to be, that he has demonstrated for us what it means to be a father. He calls himself our father. And that puts a pretty hefty responsibility on us as dads because, you see, our children get a picture of what God is like based upon how we are. And because, and, but whether we are or are not there for our children, this promised child, this son, Jesus, will forever be a father to his children, a father to the fatherless, as David says in Psalm 68, an everlasting father. Finally, there's one more. He will be a prince of peace. And what an encouragement this title would be to these people who were at war. They were under a threat from enemy nations. They, they had a wicked and evil king. It was King Ahaz at this time. Do a study on him and you'll see this guy was a piece of work. And look how, how Isaiah describes God's people. In Isaiah 8.22, he says, They will look to the earth, but behold only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick 
darkness. Guys, many rulers come to power through war, but not this ruler. He is going to bring peace, and he will rule in peace. But what is peace? We are so far away, we don't even really understand that. John Lennon, one of the Beatles, famous for what he called his bed ins, where he and Yoko Ono would stay in bed uh, during the Vietnam War around about 1968. And he wrote a song, Give Peace a Chance. All we are saying is give peace a chance. And Lenin would, would preach and say that the end of war, if we end this war in Vietnam, if we stop the fighting, then there will be peace. Well, I got news for John Lennon and for anyone else that would believe that. The world has never been without war. Of course, we know about wars in Ukraine, wars in the Gaza Strip right now. Actually, do you realize, I, I researched this, there are 32 ongoing conflicts and wars that are going on in our world right now, this morning. That includes the drug wars, terrorist attacks, insurgencies, ethnic conflicts, civil wars. And yet, many people, even in the midst of this world that is at war, we can experience peace, and many people do. Richard Nixon, our president at one time, said this, peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather learning to deal with conflict. Okay, that's a little better, and yet peace is more than just putting up with conflict. Okay, it's more than just coexisting with it. Unfortunately, that's all some people do. And yet Paul says in the book of Philippians that we have the ability to experience real peace. Famously, Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense. Why do I have peace in this situation I'm dealing with? And that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, when I'm talking about peace, guys, I'm not talking about the, just the cessation of war. It's a different kind of peace. John 14, he says it plainly. I leave peace with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Hebrew word for peace that Isaiah would use is shalom. And it means more, obviously, than just the end of conflicts. Shalom means a, a, a sense of well-being, a sense of, of prosperity. It's something that only Jesus Christ can give to us. And at this time of year, what do we often hear? We hear of that quote from the angels. You'll see it written on, on cards. You'll see it uh, uh, plastered across houses. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. That's a, a great sentiment, isn't it? Sounds like God is going to bring peace to everyone. And if that's the case, then God's a liar because everybody obviously doesn't have peace. But let me show you what the angels actually said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, guys, peace is not automatic. It requires an action on our part. We have to be, as Luke says here, pleased, pleasing to God. And how? We become pleasing to God by accepting his gift of the child that has been born to us, the son that has been given. It's been given, but the question is, have I received it? 
In a few weeks, it'll be Christmas morning. And how do your children, how does your spouse, how do your relatives and others who are there on that morning around the tree, how do they please you? Well, of course, they please you by opening up the gifts that you've given to them and accepting those gifts and thanking you for those gifts. And just like the people that Isaiah wrote to who were walking in darkness, but also, guys, we have a great light, a great gift, if we'll only see it. The worship team can come on back up right now. And there, when we, get, when we experience that gift, we, like they, can, also, can celebrate like them. Why? Because as we are reminded by this candle, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. And we have the opportunity to know him by this fourfold title. He can be a reality in our lives, and this title can be a reality in our experience. He can be my and your wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. How about you today? Have you opened that gift? And I would be remiss this morning since everything we're talking about, everything we do, not just at Christmas time, but every day of the year, is wrapped up in this good news. God said, he looked at us, and he said, all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment of that sin is death. Without this gift of God, without Jesus Christ, we're all under a death sentence which we owe to him. But Jesus Christ came as that little babe in a manger, but he didn't stay in that manger. That's the sad truth that we're going to see throughout this month. For many people, they like to keep Jesus a little baby in a manger where he's safe and cute and cuddly and, you know, who doesn't like babies? But that baby grew up. And he became a man, and 33 years later, he went to a cross after living a perfect, sinless life, after doing nothing wrong that made him a perfect sacrifice, a perfect payment for our sins. And he died on that cross to do just that. The wages of sin was death, and so he died. And that is the gift of Christmas. But it's not my gift, just like any of those gifts under the tree. It's not my gift until I open it up, until I make it my own, until I begin using it. Then it's my gift. So how do we make this gift our gift? We call it the ABCs. A says we admit our need of a Savior. Do I have to prove that to any of us? Are you a perfect person? Do you, do you live a righteous life in your thought life, in your actions, in your attitudes? I have yet to ever meet a person who's going to really be honest with me, say, I, I'm perfect. I've never done anything. No, that's, it's just not true. So admit that. I am in need of this Savior. Secondly, B, A, B, B is to believe. The Bible says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that he came to this earth. Believe that he, he came to that manger, grew, all the things we've been talking about today. Believe these things. Believe especially that he died in our place, was buried, and rose again on the third day so that we can do the same thing. We can rise up out of the sinful mess that we've made of our lives. Believe that. And then number three, A, B, C. The C is choose, make a choice. 
Say, Lord Jesus, as God's word tells us, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Lord Jesus, save me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. I want to finish this morning with, and give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. Or maybe you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've walked away from him. You've drifted off. You've been like one of those sheep that sort of walks away from the fold. Well, the same thing applies to you. A, B, C. Admit that you've done that. Believe that Jesus is willing to accept you back. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to bring you back into that right relationship. What a great way to start the holiday season with a right relationship and walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then C, make that choice. So wherever you are today, let's do some business with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. I thank you, Father, that you are all of these things that we've looked at today, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But Father, today... I admit to you that there are quite often times when I am not following you. I know you, Lord, but there's times when I've wandered away. And Lord, I know there are people here this morning that have not only wandered away, they have never come to you. They've never taken that initial step. And I pray that this morning, Father, they are at that point of being willing and ready to admit that to you, first to admit it to themselves, but then, Father, admit that to you. And recognize all the things we've talked about today. And not just recognize them, not just acknowledge them, but believe them. What we're hearing today is the truth. And it's powerful. And it's effective. And it will change us if we allow it. And Father, this morning, allowing it just means to, for us to say honestly to you, Lord Jesus, I want you. Either I want you for the first time or I want you again. Come into my life. Change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. Walk with me from here on out. Lord, I want to experience all of these promises that I've been hearing about this morning and the hundreds of others that we don't have time to hear about this morning. But Father, that's what I want. And I pray this morning that if that's where you are, that you'll make that prayer. You'll talk to the Lord yourself you'll make that decision. Father, I thank you for your word to us today. I thank you for the, the tremendous gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And may no one go out from this place today without having opened that gift and making it real in their lives. And then, Father, going to our worlds, the darkness that is around us, and shining the light of your son, Jesus Christ, that now resides within us. Thank you, Father, for these opportunities, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen.